Welcome to episode 74 of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Tobes, and I'm joined by my husband, the Tobes. We're excited to be back to recap our first season in the American Conference. Let's get started. Why don't we begin by talking about kind of those key moments that stood out this season. Then we can get into our preseason predictions and dig into the offense and the defense a little bit more in special teams. Okay, let's do it. Last year, we described the 2022 season as gritty and resilient, but I think we can say kind of the same thing about 2023. You know, I I kind of struggled when you first were bringing this up as we were kind of putting this podcast together, but I think you're right. I mean, I think it was, it was gritty and resilient for different reasons. Last year, it was, we were just kind of surviving games. This season, it just felt like we were just trying to survive this entire season because of injuries to Frank, to Makai Hart, you know, to Nana Anyewu. Um, I know Anyewu probably isn't, it wasn't a starter or anything, but still, he was a big contributor at the time and looked like he was going to have a special season. So, you know, it was just, and then there were just injuries throughout the season that we all of a sudden, you know, would rack up. Kavorian went down for a couple games. Trey Moore went went down. So it, it just, it felt like... I guess you can say survivor. I mean, it just, yeah. that's how it really felt. Yeah, and I think, you know, if I were to sum up this season in a word, it would be roller coaster, which I realize is probably two words, but yeah. <laughs> um, it seemed like what going into the season, we had these really high expectations because we didn't really have all of the knowledge of the health of the team. And then, you know, things kind of fell apart or seemed to fall apart, you know, and, and Frank gets injured again and it seemed like we were on a bit of this free fall for a little while. And then we come back and conference play, we actually didn't have those close games. You know, we didn't have those kind of cardiac moments because we get into conference play, Frank's healthy again. We actually are winning by, you know, double digit margins. And then we have Tulane which obviously is, you know, a huge disappointment. Didn't know Frank was injured at that point. And then we end with the bowl game. And, you know, it's kind of funny. We mentioned this on the podcast before. Our friend had asked, you know, hey, why aren't you guys more excited about this first bowl game? It's like, I feel like we just, you know, survived the roller coaster ride and the season's over. And it's like a sigh of relief versus like that elation that you would expect to have you know, at the end of the season, a nine-win season with a bowl game, you know, that three years ago would have been just thrilling for UTSA fans. Well, you know, like we said before already, it's it's Survivor, right? And because of it, you know, it's like we got through the season. That, yeah. That's what it felt like once once the bowl game was over. And I, I think it did hit us. Uh, it took us a little while to, to figure out how to react. And it, mm-hmm. it felt like it. that's a when we saw the team afterwards, they were happy, but it felt like the same way. Like, we got through it. Yeah. Like, like somehow we got through it. And, you know, like we said, it, the resilience was just different sure. different this year. Because it was really, I think, the resilience was more mental as opposed to last year that was uh, more just physical resilience. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to make sure you could get through those games. Um so, yeah, again, different reasons, different ways we shape this. You know, going into the season, as we kind of delve deeper, you know, and look back at our season preview, we were wondering how we would compete against the bigger, faster AAC teams. And 
you know, also avoid playing down the competition. Right. And I go back to some of the things you've already said, you know, we were winning by kind of double digit margins, but it also was because some of these CUSA teams kind of bottomed out. Yet, even though they bottomed out, they still found talent. Right. And they stocked it up to the point where the bad teams in the AAC were still way better than the bad teams in, you know, Conference USA. Right. And because of it, uh, that's why I think when we went week to week, we were still hesitant to really call for blowouts. I mean, yeah. in some cases we did, but I think it was because we felt more comfortable with, okay, it looks like, you know, the offense seems to be getting going with Frank kind of mm-hmm. getting back in rhythm and the defense has just been playing really well and yeah. keeping us in games. And so I, I think looking back at it, you know, I know that you had talked right and already talked about like there was no cardiac moments. Well, right. there was also no cardiac moments because this was, I would say, argue too, a team that executed a little bit better, sure. was more disciplined. And that was something that we were looking for. Yeah. And, you know, you saw it in 25 fewer penalties in last year. So certainly I think the way we saw this season as we talked through everything, it was, it took us a little bit to kind of get through and figure out what were some of the main points. Yeah. I mean, two things. I think going into the season, we just had different expectations and I think we would all have looked at the season differently had we had all the information going in. You know, if we knew that Frank had had all of these surgeries almost retired in the spring if we knew that you know JT likely wouldn't be able to to get back on the field I think it would have tempered our expectations and we'd probably be sitting here saying this is amazing with all of the adversity we faced nine wins a bowl victory so exciting but because we had these really high expectations and you know we'd even started to, you know, buy into the, oh, this is going to be a double-digit win season, and, you know, we're going to go to a championship, and, you know, other people outside of UTSA were talking about a New Year's Six Bowl or that potential. I just think we allowed ourselves to to expect something different than, you know, what it ended up being. And the other piece is just we had to win differently. You know, it wasn't this high-powered almost air raid like offense that we saw in 2022 it was more of like the you know pounding running game lots of defense you know just just a different style that doesn't again doesn't give you kind of all of that excitement that you saw from you know the 2022 season they weren't high flying no you know and i think um you know there was missed opportunities you know you had the houston game which we had kind of predicted they always started out fast, and they yeah. did not start fast in, right. against Houston. You know, had an Army game that was a huge letdown sure. during the non-conference slash non-district season, right? It just, it felt like conference played out like we thought, but the non-conference yeah. is where we were trying to get it together, and because of the fact that we really struggled, and again, I don't, I don't want to rehash the injuries and everything, but the yeah. thing was is that that was the part that I think we felt much more let down for, and what... I think really sucks about it is the fact that it was the beginning of the season. Yeah. So, you know, one of the questions we had was how do fans in the city respond to a record that doesn't live up to expectations? You know, we're, we're talking about injuries, we're talking about expectations and everything. And because of it, I think fans, the fans, and I think the entire city 
didn't get that crescendo. But the other part to it is I felt like they were also kind of weary. You know, you come off two back-to-back, you come off back-to-back conference titles, and it just felt like, well, they're not having the type of seasons they had before. Like, yeah. and, and it all was because of, you know, the first four games. Right. And that really did not propel us forward. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, we had some incredible moments during the season. So let's talk about those. Okay. Well, we had the first bowl victory. I mean, which, I think that uh, has to be the absolute, you know, crescendo of the season, right? Yeah. And we should have known. You know, I, I didn't mention it in the preview, nor did I mention the uh, review, but our friend Big Brown was there in attendance. And whenever he's been in attendance at a DF at a game in the DFW area, we haven't lost. Yeah. So you're welcome, Coach Trailer. It was Big Brown that did it. It wasn't all your changes to, you know, yeah, Owen no. and that. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, all those halftime adjustments, it was Big Brown that showed up. And that's why they won. But I, it just felt good. You know, we've already talked about it in our last pod, but it felt good to actually check that box off. Um, and then check another box off, which is still undefeated against Texas State, right? We got Absolutely. another victory against them. And, you know, we talk about big games. Like, that was one of the top five attended games at UTSA. So, you know, we we knew that the Texas State fans would be hyped up and energized and would show up for this game, and they did, and wasn't a pretty game, but we beat Texas State. You know, that was one of the first things I said to um, Jeff Trailer when I met him back in 2020. It was like, if you do anything, you got to beat Texas State. It's a big rivalry game. Look, if we had not won that game, even if we won the bowl game right now, I think we'd still have a little bit of a bitter taste in our mouth. Like, we can get past the Army loss, past the Houston loss, but if there had been a Texas State loss in there too, I think that would have been much harder to uh, look past. We potentially end up with the same record of 8-5 and five as them, and... Yeah, it feels like a letdown of a season in many ways. Um, Now, one of the things that I think was left out of this Texas State game was the fact that they blew the opportunity because they should have beat us. Oh, yeah. There was, you know, Frank, as you mentioned, had kind of... That's where he gets injured, and then we don't see him the rest of the non-conference season. Um, And then Makai Hart also goes down again. Right. Nana Wu, who we already mentioned. All these guys go down in that game, and it just felt like... At every moment, there was another guy down, and how is UTSA going to get through this? And, uh, you know, it, it was it, it was just crazy. We got through it, like we said, you know, obviously still undefeated against Texas State. But then I think as we roll into other memorable moments, Jeff Trailer comes up. And yeah. a lot of it is due to his verbal gaffes. Look, we love his fun ones that he has. You know, he's had some before, you know, I talked about... You know, his wife hotter than fish grease. You know, he talks about his wife as Care Bear to, like, all the media. Um, but this season, we had the kickers and punters drinking beer. Like, he set up that joke, had it going, and then he, like, really overreacts to the fact that it kind of went viral because he set up the joke. Right. Um, so we knew that something was coming. And then, obviously, ending the season with, you know, having the coffee down my crack. Right. Obviously... I think everybody's felt it if they've ever gotten a Gatorade bath. But for him to just blurt it out was like pure fun Jeff trailer. He's right. playing fast and loose. He's just going with it. He's on the mic. And he's just like being as honest as honest can be. That's the fun ones. But I think what can be memorable is also the eye-rolling ones. Yeah. 
the ones, you know, like Army, after the Army game, where he's like, doesn't set this up, but all of a sudden blurts out that there must be an easier way to make a living. Right. Called it sarcastic a few days later, but just doesn't land. Then kind of talks about, like, keeping receipts right before conference starts because sure. he's, you know, didn't play well, as we talked about in, conf- in non-conference, and then all of a sudden, you know, and even he said they weren't very w- good, but they were going to figure it out. They did in conference time, but then he comes back and he says he's, he's keeping receipts, and it's like, all I mean, right. Yeah, one minute he's talking about how he doesn't look at social media, the next minute, you know, again, how do you have these receipts? You're talking about how there's a hashtag fire Jeff trailer out there, you know? Yeah, and then, just... yeah I mean, and then just chippiness around his... You know, him interviewing for other jobs. Look, it happens. We know you're successful. So because of it, you're going to get a lot of attention. Uh, for me, I think I prefer him just to be honest and say, yeah, I have. But there's going to be, there's got to be a really good package to get me out of here. Yeah. Because I love it here. So there's going to be some things that have to be answered. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I we also weren't like too, I guess, we didn't have that much anxiety when it came to potentially him leaving. Right. But some of these eye-rolling things, especially when he starts talking about the transfer portal, like he loses Trey Moore. We thought we were going to lose him to the NFL draft anyway, right. but losing them to the transfer portal to UT doesn't seem like as big of a deal. Then losing Cam Alexander, like he just starts acting like it's life or death. Like right. he's lost two players, and because of it, the world's falling. Yet he has been one to benefit greatly because of the transfer portal. So. Yep. That's where he got Cam Alexander. So, you know, some of these seasons and stuff like that, it just feels like, what were you thinking, Jeff? Like, th- let's not say those things. Like, I-, I get that you don't you don't like this aspect of the transfer portal, yeah. but you benefited greatly from it in the tune of two conference titles, in the tune of, you know, the season you had this past season. But I think the one that irks me the most is the NIL. Yeah, of course. I mean, listen, as you mentioned... There are going to be players that we lose in the transfer portal. It's going to happen. You know, the transfer portal giveth and the transfer portal taketh away. Right. And we've been fortunate because we've been able to get more players in through the transfer portal than we've lost. Like you mentioned, Cam, Trey, you know, Zakari. Those are the ones that, that have left. And two of them to SEC schools. Cam Alexander is now, you know gotten an offer from Washington. He's allegedly going to be visiting Florida. You know, if we lose him to a P5 school, it's a different story. And when you talk about kind of these cringe, eye-rolling moments with Trailer, you know, he was talking on um, Jason Minnick's radio show, and he made this comment about, well, as long as we donate... We won't have to start over again with our team. And if I can just get, you know, a thousand people to donate a thousand dollars. Look, I'm not saying we shouldn't donate to NIL. You know, I do think that NIL is is beneficial for football, for women's basketball, for men's basketball, for all of these other sports. But the bottom line is when we start losing players to Texas State, North Texas, Tulane, Troy, because they're money whipping us on NIL, then we should all be worried. But that's not the case. Right. So the sky's not falling. It's going to be okay. We're going to lose people occasionally to P5 programs. And if we do, good for them. And a lot of reasons we haven't lost more players is because of the fact that of him. Because of 
what he's built at UTSA, yeah. players want to stay. So, you know, what it really comes down to is, as you said, it's not life and death. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's just hope that the triangle of toughness prevails, this, you know, kind of culture of excellence prevails for the UTSA, and we're going to be all right. Now, we do have some roster changes uh, as we kind of move along here that we'd like to quickly talk about. Yeah, you know, going back to kind of the NIL kind of conversation and transfer portal conversation, we don't know exactly who our super seniors for next year are going to be. Our best guesses right now, because they didn't participate in senior day, are that you know JT Clark's going to come back, provided that he's healthy enough to play. Christian Clayton, Elliot Davison, Dwan Griffin, Jamal Ligon, Ken Robinson, Sirius Simon, Donye Taylor. We think we might be able to retain Oscar Cardenas and Joe Evans, even though they did participate in Senior Day. It just kind of seems like all signs point to them returning. Um, and then there's still kind of this question mark with Rocco Griffin. You know, he's got more than a year of eligibility left, but you know he is a graduate transfer. Not exactly sure what's going to happen there. But other than the, the people we've already mentioned transferring out, most of those guys that are leaving are people that we're probably processing out because they're not going to get playing time. So, right. you know, Kedrick Cobbs is left. We haven't seen him play much. Um, Avery Morris, Xavier Spencer, Javon Debon. Again, some of these guys, they're probably looking for additional playing time. They've probably had conversations with the coaches. This is where the transfer portal benefits us because it opens up roster space. Right. Um, and again, expect to see some additional players hitting the transfer portal in the spring. Another thing you also have to think about is some of these guys that have joined UTSA came in, probably would have been stellar Conference USA players, but now that we're in a higher level of competition, maybe you know the coaches just think that they're not quite to that level. So you know, don't be surprised to see more kids getting processed just because some of them were recruited you know, prior to us knowing that we were going to be in um, the American conference. Yeah, fair point. I mean, I think that's, and that's, I think, to really hit home here is that as we see some of these players leaving, they're really, they were Conference USA guys. And that's when you see some of these guys, even that we have kept and continue to excel, some of them just were that good. Some of them, though, are overachieving right now in the American. So it's going to be, do you really want to keep them? So some of these guys that are, know super seniors that mm-hmm. could also come and play as well so you know obviously lots of turnover but as soon as we know more information we'll certainly pass it along to anybody um we do have some coaching changes that we should talk about yeah so brad sherrod the linebackers coach the last couple of years has apparently left the program and it's being reported he's being replaced by galen scott who is or who was last season the linebackers coach at louisiana Galen Scott has a history with Jess Lepp. They previously worked together at Tulsa. Um, he's also worked at Memphis. He was a defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech for a while. Had to leave based on a personal scandal. If you want a, more information about that, just Google Galen Scott, and it'll be one of the first things that comes up. Um, but since then, he's been at you know North Texas, and really, it sounds like from everything you read about him that. The players like him. The reason he left Virginia Tech had nothing to do with a field issue. It was all, you know, off field. So it sounds like he's going to be a great addition. And then we also learned that Jared Anderson has 
our offensive line coach this year has left to go to Baylor. Not sure, you know, if someone will be replacing him or not. Well, I will say this. If someone does replace him, I think that's a huge red flag because of the fact that you have two coaches for your offensive line. You don't need two coaches on the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I'm really trying to say that, hey, we really need the special teams coordinator, but it would really benefit us to have at least a special teams coordinator. If not, at the very least, if you're going to bring in somebody else, do kind of what you did like with Galen Scott, where you're bringing him in and he could potentially be maybe a co-defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got an experience, so it might be good to have some of his experience, you know, kind of help elevate Lep because we forget, but just Lep just two seasons ago, which was back in 2021, was the co-defensive coordinator. Right. So... Things to kind of think about here, but, you know, I I just want to put that warning out. Like, if there's another offensive line coach, I think that tells you all I need to know about the status of our offensive line coaching. But speaking of coordinators, this could be the first season in a while where we might not be talking about a change at coordinator. Yeah. And, and it I, doesn't look like Jess Lepp or Justin Hook <laughs> are going to go anywhere. Yeah, and I don't know what that says about it yet. You know, it, it could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Um, it's just a loyalty thing, I think, overall for right. trailer. But certainly something to keep an eye on because um, when you bring in somebody, like I already said about Galen Scott, you know, you could anticipate potentially m- kind of moving things forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that Jess Lepp is leaving. I know I've given him a hard time. Um, I know I've given Justin Burke a hard time, but. I think they both experienced some growing pains at times this season. And because of it, you know, you want Trailer to continue to up the level, not only of the players, but also the coaches. Like, that just helps the team even more. So let's go and let's move on to talk about the team overall. Let's start with the offense. Give you some quick stats here. Overall, they averaged 421.6 yards per game and scored 31.9 points per game. It's down from 2022 by about 55 yards per game and about five points per game. Look, there were the injuries to Frank, as we already talked about, you know, obviously stunted that quite a bit. Right. You had some young wide receivers that were coming in, so you know, question marks there. We also had a question mark about Justin Burke. We had no idea because we only had one game's worth of data on him. Right. So there were questions about that going in. The big questions for us, though, were where were the worry spots for us? Which position group really worried us the most? For you, it was the wide receivers, which I thought was fine. I thought we were going to be really good. Let's talk about what how you felt the wide receivers ended up performing. Yeah, I mean, going into the season, it just had a question mark there because obviously we knew Josh Cephas was going to be back. We knew that he had the potential to have a great season, but we also knew he had this looming situation with his, you know, DWI out there, and we didn't know how he was going to handle that. Right. That's a lot of pressure. You know, is he going to be able to kind of compartmentalize that and then have a great um, performance on the field, which obviously we know now he did. You know, he ended up achieving his goal of getting over a 1,000 yards and really didn't look like the legal situation impacted him when he was on the field at all. Right. But outside of him, you know, we weren't sure when JT was going to come back. Well, he never did come back. And then we didn't really know what was going to, who was going to be that next receiver. We thought it was going to be Chris Carpenter because we had seen him play in the bowl game. 
turned out Chris Carpenter barely played at the wide receiver position. He's really kind of turned into this return specialist, you know, on special teams more, right. than, more than anything. And, you know, we knew that Tyke can be inconsistent, wanted to, to hope that he was going to live up to his potential, which he did, but we just hadn't seen that, you know, towards the end of the 2022 season. Um, and then, you know, you start talking about freshmen and, and you just never know when it comes to freshmen, like no idea whether they're going to, you know, rise to the occasion or not. And fortunately for us, Devin McEwen, you know, comes out of nowhere, has this fabulous season, and really, you know, probably part of the reason why we didn't hear very much about Chris Carpenter. Yeah, and I'll also add Willie McCoy there. I know he's not a freshman, but he's new to the program, comes in as a JUCO transfer, and Honestly, played really well up until he gets injured. Right. Uh, it seemed like that kind of slowed his end of the season. But regardless, you know, he too had a good season. David Amador, again, had a good good season. And I, I was just, you know, I was confident that Frank would help with this. And mm-hmm. I, I think I, I hit it on the nail there. So I'll give myself, you know, a pat on the back there. But um, if we go to the position group that I thought was a problem, Offensive line is what I said in the right. season preview, and stands to reason that it still was a problem. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, we didn't have as many injuries as we did before, right. and you know, they were able to elevate. Um, they didn't give up as many sacks, but yeah, we're certainly still injury prone. Like you mentioned, the offensive line we started out of beginning of the season was not the same lineup that we had at the end of the season. Right, and you had some concerns about, you know, who's going to replace Maka, and it, it turned out to be Luke Lopez. Right, I mean, you know, that is such a key position, that relationship, the timing between the center and the quarterback. And so I had questions about, you know, hey, you know, are there going to be kind of maybe um, a period of adjustment with Ernesto Almaraz? Because we didn't really see him play too many snaps at center but then it turned out once again he didn't really play too many snaps at center because we ended up meeting him in another position and Luke Lopez came in and that wasn't you know snapping was not something that we really talked about we probably talked about it more when Maka was here than we did this year and I think a lot of it was because Maka was hurt and he was you know overcompensating when he was hurt you know, um, but I think, you know, depending on who makes the calls on the offensive line, that's the other thing to think about is, you know, you have a, you usually have the center that's making the calls and trying to figure out, mm-hmm. like, what's going on. Whether that's, that is the case with Luke, um, I would argue that he did a very good job of that. But for the most part, you know, I, I never felt like Frank was as, I guess was put under as much pressure as he was last season. Mm-hmm. And I think it was good because of the injuries that we already talked about. Yeah, if he had that same, same type of injuries that he did um, that he did this year, had him last year with some of the issues we had in that offensive line. Yeah, he would have been. It, it would have wrecked up awful. that season, yeah. um, honestly. So, you know, I still think that this offensive line needs a revamp. We've seen about six new recruits um, that they've signed mm-hmm. um, coming in uh through the transfer portal and through you know high school recruiting, they're doing everything they can to try to patch together this line because to me it's still too big, too slow to you know to really keep up with this 
up-tempo offense that Traylor likes to run. And right. I think that that, because they're not in shape, it leads to these injuries, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think overall, while I think the wide receivers may have kind of performed better than you thought, I, I would still say that the offensive line was just fine. Because I think against, you know, some of these better teams, uh, there certainly was more pressure. And, you know, it, it wasn't as clean of a pocket for Frank. So I think they're still... Still more to build on. I'm not going to be completely negative on them. I think it's... I just want to see them continue to elevate season after season as opposed to us saying, well, we got through another season. Right. Especially after all these injuries. Right. Uh, I think that's just a, a narrative we need to get away from. But the position group that I was excited about turned out really to be superstars, which were the running back room. Yeah, that's true. Um, when we looked at the running backs, you know... We, you wondered what the kind of snap count was going to be like. Yeah, I mean, I felt like Kavorian was going to have a breakout season this year. I was expecting it to be maybe more, you know, two-thirds of the snaps going to Kavorian. I didn't think he was going to be, like, sincere in this workhorse when you have all of, you know, these other guys, assuming that they stayed healthy, which we've had discussions before where we thought we were going to have a lot of running backs and we didn't. But to see almost kind of a third split between him and Rocco and Robert Henry, I think, you know, was a little bit of a surprise, but it turned out to work really well. Absolutely. And I think that that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, you know, how did you feel that that performed? Because I really feel like it was good. It didn't feel at any point like there was a drop off in production. It Mm -mm. felt, and and I think it was a lot of this was discussion that we had off the pod, which was... You know, it doesn't feel like previous seasons where you go to your number two running back and there's a clear drop-off sure. in, you know, talent or skill level. It really was much more of a, oh, they have different running styles, but yeah. we're getting the same production. At, you know, it's Kavorian and, you know, Rocco and Robert Henry are pretty much right at the same level. So, yeah, yeah we're... we're we're good here. And then we have Brandon High, who didn't really see the field, but still another talented running back yeah. that we have there in, in the quote-unquote stable. Yeah, you know, and the funny thing is, especially with these three and the fact that they all have long hair, and then at some point it seemed like they almost all started wearing the same color shoes. Like, if you really weren't paying attention to the number that was out there, there were times where you might think it was Kavorian, but it was really Rocco. Well, there were plenty of times during the games where I was like, hey, that was Kavorian. You were like, no. That, that's Rocco, or, or yeah. you'd say, or that's Robert Henry, and I'm like, okay, what am I missing here? So you told me, oh, they're pretty much dressed alike now. I get it, the uniforms are, are the same, yeah, but, but it was the, shoe but it was the shoes. Kavorian and, uh, always had those orange shoes yeah. that like stood out, and so it was like, you knew that was him. And it, it, I, I would venture to say that it felt like there was quite that unity there Yeah. for the running backs. Like It didn't feel like it was uber competitive in terms of, I'm trying to steal like Kavorian's job or anything. Sure. It felt very we're comfortable with the carries we're getting and the production that we're able to provide the team. So, you know, I, I usually a running back feels like a guy that could be potentially, you know, trying to be the kind of limelight hog. Mm-hmm. It was refreshing to see that from honestly three incredibly talented guys. Yeah, and we talked earlier about you know some of the style being different, you know, in the offense this year. Part of that, too, is we had 23 rushing touchdowns from these three running backs. 
And we haven't had that many rushing touchdowns from our running backs in a long time. And then, you know, you can add in the four that Frank had. But again, you know, we got a lot of our scoring from the run game, which we haven't had that in several years. And, and it was still more than the last time we had Sincere on the roster. Well, and a lot of it, too, was because as we start transitioning here to the quarterbacks, you know, you had Frank who really couldn't run, mm-hmm. you know, because of the injuries. And, you know, his two backups, Owen and Eddie, aren't really, I would say, rushing quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So because of it, you kind of run into this thing where you have to change your offense up a little bit. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I would have loved to have seen this stable of running backs back in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's wishful thinking. I, I know the realities. But it would have been cool to see because it would have been cool to see how the offense really would have elevated because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, to have three big-time wide receivers and then just gangbuster running backs back there, right. it, it would have been fun to see how much they just ate. But um, it really helped the season. It really helped the, take some pressure off the quarterbacks, especially Frank, because, you know, it, it felt it felt odd yet fitting that he ends up his career on the bench injured because that's where he started his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to take a shot here. It's just the fact that, you know, he, he has taken a lot of shots. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line, as we've talked about, has been hampered by injuries, but he still would take a lot of, at times, what I felt like were unnecessary shots mm-hmm. um, from, you know, from the way that he kind of really threw out his body out yeah. there and, and, you know, his body just gave up on him at times. You know, there were some hits that he took that, you know, really took a toll on him. And because of it, you know, we didn't get to see the 2022 Frank. That was ultimate peak Frank Harris. Right. And to not get to see it this season again, I'm sure it's disappointing for him and the way he ended the, his career. Um, but you can't take away the leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, as we look at some of the qualities of Frank Harris and what he did for UTSA, what his legendary career, as we kind of like look back on it, you know, I, I go back to the, you know, Frisco Bowl review when we kind of talked about like comparisons, you know, and, and I think that you start seeing some of the leadership aspects in Owen, you know, the way he handled himself, you know, after some adversity. And the way that he went up to the defense and his offensive linemen after, you know, drives, you know, always kind of going up there and looking like this redshirt freshman quarterback is trying to gain the respect from his, you know, fellow players. And he did, I think, in many ways, really start, I mean, if he had already hadn't, from our point of view, at least from our view, uh, from our seats, it looked like he was working hard to build those relationships. Something that was probably easy for Frank, right? Like, yeah. So, I mean, I think as we look at the overall quarterbacks, I think it's safe to say that we had good production. I think the running backs obviously, obviously helped. But would you say at all that you were surprised by anything that happened with the quarterbacks? Well, let me just say this about Frank really fast. Let's just take a moment to... Think about the fact that Frank Harris has been with the program for seven years. I forgot to say that. Yeah, that's right. And no other head coach or coach, I think in general, maybe Kevin Brown. I don't know. We have to go back. But has anybody been with the program for seven years besides Frank Harris? I mean, he's like, he has the longest tenure with the program of anybody. He's outlasted three head coaches to this point. Yeah. I mean, we obviously hope that Coach Trailer will stay at least seven years. 
But if he doesn't, Frank Harris stands to be the longest tenured roadrunner in football football program. It's it's right? so funny to, to even think about. I mean, it could be up against uh, Ryan Philo. It could be up sure. there, too. Sure. But I think you're kind of digging deep to go find a staffer, whereas you would hope right. that your head coach had been here about that long and had at least as much success as Frank Harris did, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to move on to the defense? Sure. All right. Uh, if we go to the defense... Um, you know, overall, here's some stats. They averaged giving up about 369 yards per game. They allowed about 24 points per game. That's down from 2022. They kind of cut down. Um, and it was by about 19 yards and about two points per game. But something you kind of alluded to earlier, they doubled their sacks. In 2022, they had 23 sacks. This season, they have 46. We talked about the Trey Moore kind of looking at him in terms of, you know, is he going to hit the all-time record? Is he going to do all these things? And that churn, I mean, as much as he was, he had that many sacks, you had so many other players that were kind of getting into that backfield, which really helped this defense put pressure on quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of good quarterbacks in this AAC. As bad as some of these teams were, they still had good quarterbacks. Think back to Tem- starting with Temple. You had EJ Warner. Then you had at UAB... Um, Jacob Zeno, who had finally had an offseason as a starter. You know, you start talking about Daniel Richardson. Even though he wasn't, like, good, good, he was still better than, I think, most of these quarterbacks that we saw on CUSA, along with Chandler Rogers, North Texas, who came in for one season for them and really had a fantastic season. Byron Brown at South Florida, another... I mean, they're going to be dangerous because he's coming back, so... You know, again, another really good young quarterback. And then JT Daniels, who we didn't get to play against at Rice. But now um, we get to face EJ Warner instead. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be kind of interesting. Uh, but then ended up with Michael Pratt. Like, all of these quarterbacks that we're talking about, mm-hmm. these offenses still were dangerous because they had good quarterbacks. And that's what I think kind of made us hesitate a lot, is how is this defense going to react? And they reacted really well because we thought the defensive line was going to be a strength. Yeah, it absolutely. was. Yeah. Again, the defensive line, I think sometimes it's hard when you think about the defense to like really focus on the line just because there's so much rotation. You know, it's not like you look at the defensive line and say, who's my superstar? There's so many guys and there's so much depth. I mean, they're rotating three guys, you know, on each of those positions that you know, you can't really just like look at it and say, this is the stud on the defensive line. There's just so many of them. Right. But they're so consistent. And we didn't really lose anyone after the 2022 season. We lost, you know, Lamont McDougall. And so you've had all of these guys coming back one more year under their belt. And they really rose to the occasion. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's something that really help this defense put up the numbers that they did, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, honestly, you can see in many ways that they'll continue to because some of these guys were young, you know, Chucky slash Nick Booker Brown was, you know, actually pretty young and, you know, he still got a couple more seasons under his belt. And right. so, you know, you've kind of forgot about that last season when he started outperforming, you know, he was sort of a walk-on and then gets a scholarship, talented, talented walk-on that we got, you know, and you mentioned Joe Evans. You know, you haven't mentioned Brandon Brown or Brandon Madison, right. which I kept 
by the way, much like the running backs, just kept confusing every right. every time we were out there. You had to remind me a couple times, too. Who's two, who's three? Well, yeah. I know it's Brandon. I just don't know it's Brown or Madison. So, <laughs> um, But there was a lot of fun with that because, you know, they certainly were the group that we thought they were going to be. So yeah. let's talk about, real quick, about the groups that we were worried about going into, into this season. Yeah, I mean, the area that I had concerns about going into the season was the inside linebacker who was going to be that replacement for Trevor Harmison. And, you know, we thought it would probably be Avery Morris going into the season, and that turned out to be the case. But, you know, he was a little underwhelming. Seems like he lost his starting position to Martavius French towards the end of the season, and probably one of the reasons why he hit the transfer portal. I mean, I think if you look at the the season overall, they were average. Jamal Ligon, obviously, we knew he wasn't going to be an issue. We felt good right. about him. And I think there were times this season where he wasn't able to maybe be as productive because he was trying to compensate for the other, you know, the other side of the... Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, we kind of talked about the fact that you know, is he going to figure, you know, are we going to have a little bit of time to figure out who's going to be playing next to him? And I, I mentioned that in the preview, but um, I think we finally found that guy. It just took us a little while yeah. to get to Martavius French. Um, for me, it was a safeties, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I guess because we really didn't talk about him too much in a negative sense that honestly, they had a pretty good season overall. I thought Rashad Wisdom had a pretty good season, you know, um, we weren't talking about some of the issues that we had in past seasons where, you know, the communication in terms of the coverage was lost as it was going across the field. And because of it, you didn't see broken plays in the secondary. Right. You saw guys get beat one-on-one at times by some great passes and great catches by receivers. But that's totally different than what we've seen the last couple seasons where all of a sudden you see a guy running free and the cornerback and safety are looking at each other like, Almost like this, the Spider-Man a, meme, yeah. right? You, you, you know? It was like them pointing at each other, like you were supposed to be... The, so, obviously, improvement there. You know, got to give kudos to Jess Lepp and to Nick Graham there because they have worked to make sure to correct those problems. So, because we didn't really talk a lot about broken plays and stuff, you know, I think it's safe to say that they certainly surprised me this season. They did become... I wouldn't say more of a strength, but at least not the weak spot that we I potentially thought they were. Yeah, and, and going into the season, kind of just talking about the secondary in general, you know, we had heard that Cam Alexander was really going to be this spectacular player, but we were a little concerned because you anytime you come from FCS up to that level, weren't sure how that was going to all play out. Well, it turned out to be great, you know. Look, we had him for one season. It's wonderful. Sounds like he's going to have a P5 opportunity. So, you know, good for him. That's going to end up being one of the question marks, I'm sure, for next season when we get into that part, though. Yeah, certainly. You know, obviously they're going to, as you said, they're probably going to start trying to recruit some more uh, cornerbacks here, too, because, you know, losing Cam Alexander, then losing Nick Troy, um, we start losing some of this depth. You know, we lost Cyrus Dumas to the transfer portal, you know, so it leaves Zay Frazier and um, Dewan Griffin right now as probably the top returning players and potential, I would say right now you could probably pencil them in as the starters if you're just trying to 
put together a starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that causes some issues because I think there's concerns, at least with the inexperience of both of them. Right. Um, and when I say inexperience with Dewan Griffin, it really is more of the fact that I, I don't think that he's as strong as um, you know Nick Troy was or as Cam Alexander certainly. So. Um, and even then, I, I don't think he's as strong as Ken Robinson, mm-hmm. uh, a guy who's just can play cornerback or safety and has done well at both. Yeah, totally, totally a underrated player. Absolutely. Now, of course, we can't, I think, end the defensive conversation without talking real quick about Trey Moore, about Donye, right. just how the outside linebackers performed. You know, you have Owen Peewee, who's kind of, you know, also kind of coming on and getting going to have a chance to get on the field. Now, Jamori Robinson is more on the line, um, but obviously there's just some young players that are started getting opportunities to play this season. And because of it, on a stacked roster, I think, especially on the defensive end, it just became hard to have those, you know, some of these snaps, as we already kind of talked about. But mm-hmm. it just felt like, once again, much like we talked about with the running backs, you bring in a guy and the level doesn't drop off. That is something that we have not been able to see from UTSA in general. But really, I think it bodes well for this defense because right. for too long, I think this defense has been kind of, um, it, it, it's been sort of maligned. Uh, you know, obviously because of some of like the secondary breaks or busts, I should say. Um, but also because it just felt like there would be, once again, there's drop-offs from your your guy, you know, your first guy to your second guy. Mm-hmm. So, I, I look for this defense to continue to improve. Obviously, we're going to miss Trey Moore and his, you know, his uh, pass rushing abilities. But I certainly think that there's plenty of talent to come in and to make up for that. Yeah. All right, let's go to special teams. Um, you know, you certainly thought this would be the, the Achilles heel of this team um, because it was going to be done as a committee approach because... Yeah. As we've talked about many times, there is no special teams coordinator. Right. And I think against Houston, there were multiple issues. Um, you know, there was a big punt return, even though there was like a block in the back. There was still a punt, big punt return. Um, Lucas Dean did not look the same. It's not really a special teams coordinator issue, but um, it it just looked like when UTSA had decided to do some fake punts, think about like Tennessee, think about Tulane, they're putting the ball in Oscar Cardenas' hand. And Oscar, while a great pass catcher and a good playmaker, does not have the athletic ability that I think you would need from somebody in that position to, you know, kind of make some of these trick plays work. Yeah, you know, that's where, again, kind of that committee approach, you just think, you know, did we get into a situation of groupthink when we were right. like, coming up with some of these plays or... Would they have been different if there was one guy saying, like, mm, I'm not sure we really executed that very well in practice. Maybe we should do something different. And there was less of the trick plays because of the fact that, you know, as we talked about already, the the margin of victory was larger in mm-hmm. conference play than it had been in previous years. There wasn't the cardiac runners we kind of talked about. But it also felt like I think there was more organization under, wait for it, Justin Burke. As much as, you know, I had yeah. kind of criticized him with the offensive approach – Special teams wise, special teams wise, last season it felt like he had things together. Now, you want to talk real quick about these specialists because I think that you know, obviously, I, I don't want to get, I'm going to say it this way, but we had some special specialists. Yeah, I mean, again, going into the season, you know, we had question marks at special teams about 
you know, how we were going to replace someone like Jared Sackett. We knew how consistent he'd been. We'd had Hunter Duplessis before him. It's like, who is going to be, you know, our kicker? We knew that Tate Sandell had, you know, been able to do kickoffs, but we'd never really seen him kick a field goal. Right. We were bringing in this transfer in Chase Allen from Alabama, but there really wasn't a lot of data on him because he didn't play very much in Alabama. And, you know, it turned out that, you know, Chase Allen is just as consistent as Jared and Hunter. Um, and I think he's been a great, you know, replacement on the team. You know, Tate Sandell missed the one field goal in Houston. Look, you expect, you know, kickers to miss occasionally. So I'm not going to really hold that against him. But the thing that's underrated about Tate Sandell um, is that he has the school record now this season for touchbacks. And I know that sounds a little odd, but one of the problems that we've had with special teams the past couple of years has been our, you know, our coverage on kick returns. And it might still be a problem. We don't really know because Tate Sandell, with all of these touchbacks, kind of yeah. mask that, right? Right, right. It's kind of one of those underrated things where, look, we had we had an issue... Maybe it's still an issue. We don't know because there were very few, you know, kicks that were actually returned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that, you know, as, as you kind of brought it up as we were kind of prepping for this, it, it was kind of weird because it just felt like, yeah, maybe we did have, we could have had issues because I kind of talked about it with the bowl preview is that you have these young guys, are they going to fill their lanes? Are they going to stay disciplined? No need to when Tate Sandell is just kicking it out of the end zone. Sure. So. And then, of course, you know, Lucas Dean, we knew he was going to be consistent. Kind of wondered, like you said at first in the Houston game, why maybe he didn't look like his normal self. Well, you know, when a guy breaks both of his legs in the offseason and ends up with the stats that Lucas Dean had, and they're really not that much lower than his previous years, you got to be pretty impressed by that. Yeah, and and to be fair, he broke one leg, that healed, and then he broke the other one. So it... (laughs) I'm sure that caused a lot of problems for him in terms of just having the strength in his legs. So, sure. um, yeah, just to kind of finish out this conversation, a good season overall, I think, for the special teams. Like I said, I, you know, I'll repeat it again, special specialist, right? Like, right. you know, Dugastine was great. Um, you know, Tate Sandell did some great stuff. It was really, though, it felt like at times a committee approach to how they kind of got things done. But it worked best, I think, for the entire team, where some of the depth that we had really shone through. All right, before we go, let's get into some of the questions that we have for the 2024 season. We know Frank is gone. We know we're going to have a competition for QB1 next year. Going into the season, we were talking about, you know, kind of what's the competition for QB2 and... You know, you seemed pretty certain at that point that Owen was a step above Eddie, but we saw both Eddie and Owen this season. So, who do you think is going to be QB one? Is it going to be Eddie, Owen, or someone from the transfer portal? I think it'll be Owen or um, the transfer portal quarterback. I don't see Eddie Lee beating out a transfer portal guy or Owen whatsoever. He just looked uh, like a deer in headlights at times. Um, he looked 
looked pretty good against Army, but he couldn't sustain drives. Mm-hmm. Like, it was all just big plays, which was cool. But what that team needed at that moment was the Frank Harris type sustain drives mm-hmm. over and over, you know, getting getting the eight eight yard pass and then hitting the first down. You know, just instead of big chunk yards getting little chunks and then moving the ball down so you can get some sort of ball control. And I thought that Owen showed that quite a bit in um the game against Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed that throughout the season, especially against like Tennessee, you know, kind of marched the team down to get that first score um, at a throw to Josh Cephas, you know, and then he had a big play when he threw it over to Ty Key for a touchdown. There was just moments where you looked at Owen and you said, you can tell that he's got experience. And, you know, it, it when you see something like that, it just reinforces in your head, like, this is the court, this is the type of quarterback we need. Now, mm-hmm. You know, if the transfer portal quarterback, depending on how talented, who he is, you can certainly see that battle go on between him and Owen. But I, I just, that that's who I think is going to be competing. Given that we don't know who the quarterback is going to be at the helm, do we anticipate that we're going to have some offensive scheme changes? You know, I don't think so. I, I think based on the fact that you have the three-headed running back attack until we know differently, maybe in the spring or something, if one of the guys transfers out, I would imagine that they're still going to be heading up the running attack, and you don't necessarily need a, like a scrambling quarterback like you had with Frank. You can have a guy that's more of a pocket presence like Owen, mm-hmm. um, even Eddie Lee. Like they're similar quarterbacks in that they're they're not like dual threats. Right. So because of it, I, I think you're not anticipating big changes. Now you could see some tweaks just to kind of fit with the you know whatever their style is, but I, I can't see. I can't see Trailer or Justin Burke going back and saying, we're going to really revamp, you know, just how we run this offense. I think it's going to stay RPO, which I'll leave it like that. But um, it'll be a heavy RPO offense, and we'll see how that decision-making comes across. So given that we know, you know, the main position of quarterback is going to be different on this team, do you look at it as being a rebuild or is it a reload? I mean, I kind of see it as sort of a rebuild because, you know, this is the first time you're not going to have um, your longtime quarterback. So there are going to be some things on the offense that are going to change um, in terms of, I think, not like scheme-wise, but just the way the offense has operated for so long. You know, mm-hmm. you got used to Frank being back there. You know, now you have this new guy that's going to be back there. So, you know, it feels like a little bit of a rebuild because you're also having to bring in a different another quarterback but in many ways, it's. I think it really kind of leans itself a lot more to reload, um, just because it the the roster's still pretty talented, right? Um, and they're bringing in guys that I think are going to be either depth or at least try to make some sort of impact next season. I mean, would you disagree at all? Or yeah, I mean, I think it maybe feels like an offensive rebuild and an overall reload. If if you make if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't think you can really peg it down to it not being some type of rebuild. So that's why I kind of said, like, you know, there, there's going to be a little bit of a rebuild in terms of figuring out, you know, this change at quarterback. But um, I don't think it's going to be so major that you're going to have huge. You feel speed. like it's just like oh, we're going to go. Yeah. yeah, we're not going to go completely air raid or something. You know, right? Like, you know, the defense has been such a big part of the success this year. Do you think? we can maintain that going into 2024? 
I mean, based on the kind of players that we have returning or possibly, you know, losing as well, you know, I, I don't see that. I don't see that there's a lot uh, unless, you know, you kind of go back to the cornerbacks that we mentioned before. I, yeah. I think, you know, depending who they bring in at cornerback, how many cornerbacks they bring in, uh, I think that's going to determine how much we maintain from this defense. I, I'm not worried about defensive line, linebacker. I, I'm not too worried about safety. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you have Ken Robinson um, and, you know, you, you have Elliot Davison. Yeah. So, I you know, could you use more depth? Of course. But you could say that about any position. So, I think just cornerback is the is, is the big thing. So, we figure that out. Should be okay. Any other big questions for 2024? No. I, I, I don't have any questions right now. Not yet? Yeah. I think come the spring, I think we're... The two of us are going to have more questions. And yeah. it, it's okay. I think heading into next season, we certainly should have a ton of questions. But I think it'll be after seeing the spring season, um, you know, kind of those spring practices and then the spring game, that will probably prompt us to say, ooh, we whiffed on this. So. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us here on the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atos. And I'm Toves. We'll be back with more basketball coverage. Ah, birds up.